I think you need to stick in this environment, no matter what you're investing in, if you're a stock investor, whatever, I think you need to invest in things that are real and essential. For example, we're finding right now that one of the most stable places to be in terms of real estate is residential. Why? Because even when people don't go to the mall, even when people don't go to the office, they still need a place to sleep at night, every night, even when they're working at home. So residential is much more secure than any other niche of real estate. So for that reason, I like residential. Hey there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. My name is Michael Blank. I'm super excited that you're here. In today's show, I interview Russell Gray from the Real Estate Guys because he thinks that there's something else going on behind the scenes with coronavirus, and it's not volatile stock markets, not unemployment, it's not spiking gold prices, it's not falling interest rates, it's something else. What is that? Stay tuned. I'm Michael Blanc. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. So I'm Michael Blanc, and I teach investors how to become financially free with real estate, right? Now, if you love the show, leave me a review. If you haven't already subscribed, make sure you do that right now so you don't miss a single episode we put every single week. So for a while now, pundits have been forecasting this black swan event. We knew we were in a bubble somehow. We knew we were due for a correction, but we didn't know what it would do. And certainly pandemic was not a list of my things that would prick that bubble, but certainly it did. So in this episode interview with Russell Gray, you're going to find out what you can do now to protect your wealth, find the opportunities hidden in what seems like a problem. How can you possibly not only survive, but take advantage of the opportunity? And you're going to see that people and businesses and money will start migrating to safety. Uh, and you see certain symptoms happening, certain things, but what's really going on behind the scenes? Some will win and some will lose. And we want to make sure in this episode that you are going to be one in uh, a position to thrive. And that's what we're going to get into right now. This episode is sponsored by your Investor Incubator Mentoring Program. I'm just super excited about this program because we have dozens of mentoring students who have done their first deal are now quitting their job. In fact, we had several of them speak at DealMaker Live just a few weeks ago. And if you value mentorship and you want to accelerate your goals and avoid the costly mistakes, then why don't you schedule a call with us to see if mentoring is right for you. Go to the michaelblank.com forward slash mentor and schedule a call. No obligation. Well, if, if it's not for you, that's fine. We're going to point you in the right direction. Check it out at the michaelblank.com forward slash mentor. All right, back to our show. The interview with Russell Gray, here's what we're going to cover on this. We're going to understand the huge difference between the economy and the financial system, okay? They're not actually the same. You're going to discover ways to structure your portfolio to weather this upcoming storm, learn where real estate is likely headed, and what niches are more likely to succeed than others, and then get insights how to hedge against inflation, deflation, and stagflation. This is one is going to broaden your horizon because we have no none other than Russell Gray, co-host of the Real Estate Guys radio show, the longest-running real estate radio show on the planet. And what I love about these guys is is they give us a broader perspective, not just in real estate, but where does real estate fit in with regards to the economy, energy, gold prices, all those things. And now I finally have a chance to sit Russell down and ask him all these questions because I don't quite understand some of these macro things going on. And Russell not only understands it, he loves it, he studies, he's going to explain it for us right now. So let's get right in the show with Russell Gray. Russ, how's it going today? Good, man. Happy to be here. 
Yeah, yeah, this is this is great because one of the things I love about uh, the Real Estate Guys radio show is that you guys certainly talk about real estate, but you talk about a much you talk about it in the context of uh, what else is going on in the world. You cover the economy, you cover inflation, you gold, uh, oil, all that kind of stuff. So I just uh, the reason I listen to you guys is because I get a broader perspective. Sometimes you're in the multifamily, you know, weeds a little bit, and it helps to understand how it fits into the bigger picture. And so I'm really glad that you're on the show here today because I want to drill down on that bigger picture. In fact, one of the things that you you say, and I was like, I don't quite understand, is that the, the big coronavirus story isn't interest rates or spiking oil prices or volatile stock markets or anything like that. You said there's actually a bigger story behind it. Can you uh, please share with you what that big story actually is? Well, yeah. I mean, what I learned in 2008 is there's all kinds of stuff that happens way up in the rafters of the financial system that, in fact, I the metaphor I use is, uh, or analogy, I always get those two mixed up, uh, is the old game that you're probably old enough to play this game when you were a kid, Mousetrap. And in the game of Mousetrap, you build this elaborate machinery that there's a chain of events that starts and then one thing leads to another through a whole chain of events and then eventually the little mousetrap falls on the mouse. Well, I was that little mouse running around in the mortgage business in 2006, 2007, thinking everything was awesome and I'm making all kinds of money and I'm all that in a bag of chips. And then all of a sudden the trap fell down on me, credit markets imploded and I had no idea. I didn't see it coming. And so once I kind of shook the dust off and quit blaming the economy for my own ignorance and stupidity, I started asking myself, well, who saw it coming and how did they know? And that's where we discovered people like Peter Schiff. We started paying more attention. We were already friends with Robert Kiyosaki, but we were less about listening than we were about kind of riding coattails and trying to rebut anything he said that contraindicated what we were thinking or wanting to do. So we were living in an echo chamber. And so I came out of that and I really started studying credit markets and bond markets. And that led me to really understanding currencies and the financial system in general, because ultimately your real estate investments are really driven by employment, which are driven by credit markets because businesses are driven by credit markets and uh, driven by interest rates and the mortgage side of things. And that's also very much driven in the bond market. And so the context, as you talked about, of real estate is understanding the migration of people and money uh, through the system and when it's going to puddle up in an area or when it's going to leave. You know, when you're in a rising tide, all boats lift. But when things recede, as Warren Buffett says, you get a chance to find out who's swimming naked. But if you don't understand that ebb and flow of money through the credit system, then you really don't know whether the tide's coming in or the tide's going out or how to prepare. So that's kind of how it started for me uh, in terms of studying the system. So when the COVID-19 thing struck, I just started asking myself, okay, I can see the health crisis, and I can see the official response in terms of uh, the lockdown and the, the, both the monetary and the fiscal stimulus response, what's next? And so to me, it goes from health crisis to economic crisis, which is a cessation of commerce, meaning no paychecks, no revenue. And then what's the logical conclusion of that? A debt crisis, because when people don't have income, they can't make payments. And when they can't make payments, debt goes bad. Well, that's what happened in 2008, except it was just a little small contingency of subprime borrowers up in, in some you know quiet corner of the 
uh, system and they went bad and it set a whole chain reaction, a daisy chain contagion through balance sheets because of the leverage. And that's the part that nobody saw coming, that nobody understood the role of derivatives and how much leverage was there. And so a little bit of bad debt expanded into a complete threat of the financial system. Well, we're more vulnerable today to that than we ever were. So that's the next stop in this four-phase cascading crisis. To fix it, the Fed is going to try to paper over it by printing trillions and trillions of dollars, and they've already done it, and they're going to continue yeah. to do and it. It's worked well in the it. past, and it's still working right now. Uh, inflation doesn't seem to be ticking up in any way, and so they're like, oh, shoot, I'll keep on, I'll keep on kicking the can down the road. Yeah, well, the, the, that's not true about the inflation part, but that's a different discussion. But the point is, is that it's all predicated upon their, uh, their ability to print unlimited dollars with impunity. If they lose that ability for any reason, now we have a dollar crisis. And that's the thing that nobody's really talking about and most people aren't prepared for. And of all the people on planet Earth that are least prepared for it, it's Americans, because Americans have enjoyed this exorbitant privilege of the world's reserve currency for decades. Most of us who are living and investing have never known a world where the dollar wasn't dominant. We don't think outside the dollar. Every other currency, every other investor in the world thinks in terms of at least two currencies, theirs and the dollar. A lot of them think about precious metals as an alternative to currencies because they have a different perspective. We've never thought that way. Because up until 1971, our dollar was gold, or effectively as good as gold, at least on an international stage. But today, that's not true. So Americans just aren't ready for what could happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying it could happen, and a prudent person is going to realize the possibility and then take steps, at least in terms of a plan, if not actually implementing something, to put them in a position to mitigate some of the risks if it did happen. Well, what could happen? Well, I mean, you know, a currency crisis is what happens in, in, in Zimbabwe or Venezuela when a currency completely uh, loses value. So the Fed is able to print unlimited amounts of dollars because it's the world's reserve currency. And so those dollars, those excess dollars don't end up in the United States. And so he says, well, yeah, but they just, they printed all this money and they did direct deposits into people's checking accounts. That's all Americans. Yes, but where did they spend the money? Amazon, Walmart. Well, where's all that stuff come from? China. So where did all the dollars end up? China. They didn't end up here. Now, the problem is, is that if the rest of the world uh, decides they don't need dollars because the dollar is no longer the world's reserve currency, there's some other alternative, and there's already been a lot of movement towards that, and I can detail that if you care to, but the point is, at whatever point, if those dollars come home, if exporting dollars to the world has suppressed inflation in the United States, then what is the effect of all those dollars coming back? Well, that's in hyperinflation. That's kind of what happened in 1971 when we went off the gold standard. The dollar collapsed. Oil prices tripled. Uh, we had stagflation, no economic activity, but rising prices. So the tee up is there for that to happen. And I just think most people economically aren't aware of how the system works or why that's even a possibility. So, so paint a picture a little bit here. And you're saying it could happen, doesn't have to happen. But what are some of the, paint a picture of, the, you call it a cascading effects. What are some of the cascading effects that could happen that would result in the de devaluation of the dollar? Well, so the first place de the dollar devaluation is going to show up is going to be in alternatives to currency. So right now, in all currencies around the world, gold is at an all-time high. And if you flip that over, that means every currency in the world, except the U.S. dollar against gold, is at an all-time low. 
meaning those currencies have weakened against what JP Morgan called money, precious metals. United States, the, as, as we're recording this today, silver is touching on 23, but gold is nearing its all-time high from 2011 of 1921. It's over 1900. The probability is in the next little while, it's going to bust through that all-time high, and then it remains to be seen how far up it goes before it meets its next resistance. So that's an indication that people who are dollar holders are trading in their dollars for precious metals. And that's what happens with gold. In 2019, the issuers of currencies, central banks, the ultimate insiders when it comes to currency, because they print it, bought record amounts of physical gold in 2019. And the last time they did that was in the early 70s after Nixon took us off the gold standard and the dollar collapsed. So that's an indication that the people who really understand currencies are concerned about the value of currencies and are seeking shelter someplace else. So, well, mainstream financial TV, who basically are propaganda for Wall Street, are trying to focus you on the stock market and completely never talk about counterparty risk. They don't ever talk about real assets, especially precious metals and real estate, other than a trading vehicle or stocks, at least as far as home builder stocks go. They don't understand us or what we do at all. But you know what we're starting to see is that the indicators of currency weakness is already showing, and that's gold. And silver just flipped. Silver was cruising along as basically an industrial metal whose price was relatively suppressed because industrial demand is down. That's what lockdowns do. But silver is used in you know cell phones and solar panels and stuff like that. But it's also a monetary metal. And so when you see silver start to take off, which it just did, it means to me, uh, combined with physical demand, it means to me that people are beginning to place dollars or sell dollars and, and, and purchase silver. They're beginning to take their liquid wealth and store it not just in gold, which is approaching an all-time high, but now into silver, which is 50% off its all-time high. So if silver flips from being an industrial the primary appeal being industrial to being monetary, silver could, could go on a big, a big run. But those are all indicators that currencies are weak. So you're saying that there's a rush to gold because people are losing confidence in their currency? Is that, is that or is it just simply people just feel safer owning precious metals, right? Because it could be just be an overreaction, a panic to what's going on right now. Well, sure. But I mean, the, at the end of the day, it's they don't have faith in the currency or they'd, they'd sit on the currency. If the dollar was the best place to be, that's where it'd be. I think an article just came out two days ago in Reuters talking about how the dollar index just fell pretty substantially. So the dollar's exhibiting weakness uh, against other currencies, and all currencies are exhibiting weakness against precious metals. Uh, you know, if you go look at countries that don't have dollar reserve status, the people, the investors that survived the collapse of their currencies, the Venezuelas, the Zimbabwe's, the Argentinas, it was the people that held gold and were able to convert that precious metal into a currency that they could spend that actually had value. And of course, that was the US dollar. So the dollars caught an up bid from other currencies, but it's starting to lose that bid right now, which isn't surprising. And on top of that, all currencies are losing against precious metals. So yeah, whether, whether, I mean, whether it's panic or whether it's prudence, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's a lack of faith in currencies that causes that to happen. It's not industrial demand on silver for sure. Right, 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 right. Exactly. So the government's been printing money and it's been kind of getting us through this thing. And, you know, what if it stops? Is it likely to stop? Is it, is it likely to continue? 
And if it does, is likely to continue in every quarter day, I don't know, print another trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. What, what is possible? What is likely to happen, or what is the possibility of that happening? What is the consequence of the government essentially bailing us out every single quarter? Well, if you look at 2008, it's kind of a dress rehearsal of what happened there. You had a bunch of debt go bad. They called them toxic assets. And in order to clean the system out, the Fed, you know, had to be like the Incredible Hulk and swallow the nuclear bomb. So they just bought up all those assets by printing money. They took their balance sheet from 800 billion to four and a half trillion. And so the difference between 800 billion and four and a half trillion is what they printed. And then they used it to purchase all this bad debt to get it out of the system. And so that they weren't able to really ever unwind. They managed to get from, I think, 4.4, 4.5 back down to 3.7. And now they've had to pump back up and they're over 7 trillion. So when the COVID-19 crisis happened, they printed another three, three and a half trillion dollars and they're not done. So they're going to have to clean the toxic assets out. And it's going to be the same thing. The, the question is, is can they print enough money to make that happen without causing people to lose faith in the dollar? Because think about this, the dollar, people who think only inside the dollar struggle. They struggle because they think of money and wealth. They denominate everything in dollar. The dollar is like the sun in the solar system to them. And they don't understand that the dollar isn't the sun. The dollar is just one of the planets, one of the currencies, and the sun is really precious metals. And that's why gold can go up and down, denominated in currency, it can be up in yuan or it can be up in bolivars or it can be up in euros and down in dollars. How can it be up and down at the same time? Well, that can only happen if you're denominating whatever you're doing in the currency. But if you denominate it in gold, gold becomes fixed. Okay. So uh, anyway, I, I kind of I, I went on a little rabbit trail there and lost my train of thought. So what, what was your question? I'll well, come back I'm to trying it. to drill down on the likelihood of you know doom, <laughs> right? Because we're going to talk well, about it's a not doom; so- it's change. Yeah, it's, it's only it's doom changed. if you're yeah. not prepared, right? right? For right. the people who are prepared, for the people that are sitting on precious metals, the last year, the, since COVID nineteen struck, people that were sitting on gold haven't been in doom; they've done great. Yeah. Right. So it's it's doom isn't what happens. It's how prepared you are and what you do in response to it. That that was a lesson from 2008. Kenny McElroy made hundreds of millions of dollars in 2008 where I lost millions of dollars. It wasn't the environment. It was my investing intelligence. It was my actions. It was my philosophy, my strategies. And it's a, it's and that, a good point. That's where I think people are at. Yeah. They just need to understand that, you know, dollars, if the Fed loses its ability to print, and people know, it's like this, Michael, you're familiar with the S&P, Standard yeah. Poor's Index? Sure. Okay. If you have a stock and it is not listed on the S&P, and then one day they decide to add it to the S&P, every fund manager who manages to mirror the S&P index purchases that stock. It's very bullish for that stock. Lots of demand. The flip side of that is that if you get delisted from the S&P, then every fund manager who holds that stock simply because it's in the S&P is going to dump it to rebalance their portfolio to match the S&P. And that's a very bearish sign for your stock. Okay, now think of the dollar, think of the S&P as world's reserve currency status. And right now people are holding the dollar because it's the world's reserve currency. If it were to lose that status, then people who are holding it only for that reason would sell it. Now, 
it gets dumped. Why would they want to do that? Why would people decide they don't want to hold the dollar? Let's go back to the stock thing. Let's say that there's a company out there, we're going to call it um, Lemon Computer, okay? And Lemon Computer is worth a uh, million dollars, and they've printed a million shares, so every share is worth $1. And their sales don't grow, nothing changes, but they decide to print another 9 million shares of stock. Now you've got 10 million shares of stock, but the company is still only doing the same. So now you now, it takes 10 shares of stock to own one, one millionth of that company, just like you owned before. So you got diluted, meaning that, and that's the same thing that could happen with the dollar. That's when they print dollars and the economy isn't growing, then the amount of economic prosperity or activity or production divided by how many dollars they printed means it takes more dollars to own the same amount of that economic activity. And that's what inflation is. And that's, that's a concern. And that's why I think you see people seeking shelter in things like precious metals. So the risk of inflation, in your opinion, is, is, is high. Uh, the risk of devaluation of the dollar is, is high. You see a lot of things converging. A lot of people have talked about this for, for a long while. Let's talk about the potential solution. We already talked about precious metals, right? So as the dollar goes down or inflation goes up, precious metals are, are valued higher. Therefore, if I own precious metals, they're going to go up higher. Therefore, I'm benefiting from inflation or the devaluation dollar. Is that, is that not about benefiting. Right? You're not benefiting. You're only preserving. Gold doesn't make you rich. It's not an investment. It's an alternative form of liquidity. Think of it as cash that doesn't go down in value because of printing. It doesn't make you rich. You don't get rich by having money in the bank, but you have safety preserving your purchasing power. So uh, a lot of people try to trade gold, and this is where I disagree. I mean, and I've had this conversation with our friend, you know, uh, Brian London many times, because a lot of people who claim to be gold bugs really are looking at gold as a trading vehicle and their ultimate goal is to accumulate dollars, right? A true gold person realizes gold is money and they're not interested in accumulating dollars. I don't want to go from cash to gold to cash. Just like a real estate investor doesn't want to go from cash to real estate to cash. You don't want your round trip doesn't, you're not wealthy if you end up in cash. What you want to do is you want it with real estate, you want to go from cash to real estate to cash flow. And that's where you get rich. Cash flow makes you rich, right? With with gold, you want to go you, you, you want to go from cash to gold, and you want to stay with gold. And gold is like equity, and you want to grow it on your balance sheet, but don't look at it as a trading vehicle. It's just a place to store liquidity. Now, you opinion. guys are obviously the real estate guys. So how do you feel about real estate and holding real estate or investing in real estate in this kind of uh, world that that may happen? It's a perfect world for it. It's perfect. It, you know, when we wrote Equity Happens, it was all based on the thesis that the dollar was going to continue to lose value as it has since its inception, uh, since it was flipped over, you know, in 1913. Uh, and you can go to the St. Louis Fed website and pull up the purchasing power of the dollar and you can see the chart. I'm not, I'm not making that up. I mean, the government's own or the Federal Reserve's own, own numbers tell you that it's lost 97% of its value since it started. And it, that's happening again. So real estate is the perfect vehicle to short the dollar because inflation, printing of money favors the debtor. That's why they do it, right? The government's in debt. It's all about debt, 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 debt. Real estate is the ultimate vehicle to short the dollar because you can accumulate debt, meaning you can, you can spend dollars 
at today's value and purchase an asset and then pay it back with tomorrow's dollars that's worth less because of inflation. And that's why when you, when you, you know, you buy a $50,000 property and put $10,000 down and get a $40,000 mortgage. And then 10 years later, that $50,000 house is worth a hundred thousand dollars purely because of inflation. You have outpaid, you've created a huge gain, 10,000 down payment. And that's all created. That's why equity happens. The thing is, the challenge with equity in real estate is if you leave it there, the market can take it right back away again. So as soon as it's there, the smart thing to do is get it out. If real estate is a good place to be, you keep adding to your real estate portfolio. But the thing that I didn't do in 2008 that I think is a smart thing to do is to always peel off a chunk of that equity and park it in, park it in precious metals and build your liquidity outside of the dollar. Uh, so that if the currency were to fail, you're in a good position to do that. So real estate is perfect for accumulating debt and cash flows to service the debt and tax breaks. Uh, you just need to make sure that you're conservatively structured, as I'm sure you do. And of course, the beautiful thing about being in multifamily is you're going to be getting commercial mortgages, which means that you're going to be forced by the underwriters to have liquid reserves and you're going to be forced to have good coverage ratios. And then, you know, just as a prudent operator, you should be picking markets and demographics that are likely to hold up well in economic difficult times, meaning you're not top of market in the richest, but you're in the middle uh, where people above you can move down if, if times get tough and where if times get good, people below you can move up and you're always kind of in that sweet spot. All right, let's talk about uh, this equity happens thing. So there's, if I understand correctly, there's two reasons you like real estate. One is the debt becomes less and less, worth less because of inflation. Inflation is eating away the debt, which is good. So having debt is good. At the yep. same time, Inflation also increases the value of the building, let's say commercial property. Well, because- it, increases, it increases the dollar price of the value. It doesn't increase the value. Sorry, the dollar this value. Goes back, be this, guy. Go, this is important, Michael. Yeah, this is yeah. important. If I buy a three-bedroom, two-bath house for $50,000 and it becomes worth $500,000 because of the devaluation of the dollar, in terms of utility, has it become any more valuable? It still only sleeps three people. See, one of the things that happens is you get what's called nominal confusion. Nominal confusion occurs when the numbers grow, but value doesn't. Give you an example. Let's say you have an economy or a business. Let's say you have a business and it's cranking out uh, a thousand widgets a month and each widget is worth a hundred dollars. So you've got a hundred thousand dollar a month business. And then through inflation, your widgets start costing, you know, $120. So now you've got $120,000 a month business, but you're still only producing a thousand widgets. You're only employing the same number of people. You're only renting the same amount of space. Have you grown? Well, nominally you've grown, but you haven't employed any more people. You haven't consumed any more real estate. You haven't any more product. You haven't grown at all. That's nominal confusion. You can get confused into thinking that you've grown or you're rich when you're not Remember, Venezuela's stock market was a top performing stock market as the Bolivar was crashing. And that's because it was inflating, but their businesses weren't doing well at all. There's a little bit of that going on in the United States right now. So inflation basically makes it look like growth, even though it's not growth is what you're saying. Correct. Now, if you were to pay, if you were to uh, say measure a value of building in say an ounces of gold, what you're saying is it would stay the same. 
right? The currency. Well, I wouldn't would- even I wouldn't even measure it that way. In fact, let's just talk about you know you as an individual. So I'll give you an example. I'll give myself as an example. Okay, in two thousand seven, I was a multimillionaire on paper. If you took assets minus liabilities equal net worth, I was a multimillionaire. But what happened is, is if you were to look at my passive income, I was a pauper. And the reason is, is because I purchased all my real estate highly leveraged at negative cash flow uh, in, you know, in, in the aggregate. Obviously, the commercial loans were positive cash flow, but I had a big portfolio of residential properties that were negative cash flow. I debt serviced all of the negative with the income on my mortgage company, which was doing great. The problem is, is when the mortgage industry imploded, took my income with it, now all of a sudden the tide went out and I could see, oh my gosh, I am swimming naked. All the equity that I had in the property that made me a multimillionaire, assets minus liabilities net worth, revealed that I was a pauper. I no longer had equity. Now, if I would have measured my net worth by income, by passive income. In other words, if I would have said, hey, okay, uh, let's just pick a number. I've got $50,000 a year of uh, passive income coming in. And I were to say, hypothetically, okay, I'm just going to say that my my cap rate, if you will, to use apartment terms uh, is 5%. Okay, well, then that means my net worth is a million bucks based on passive income. That's real wealth. That's real wealth. That's resilient wealth. My equity could come and go. I could have a negative net worth based on assets minus liabilities equals net worth based on current market value in a recession. And yet I could still have a very secure portfolio. I've got resilient wealth. What you do, Michael, what you teach people to do is real wealth. Okay. The people that are out there trying to buy low, sell high, that are denominating their wealth, assets minus liabilities, it doesn't matter how many ounces of gold a property is worth. It doesn't matter how many dollars it's worth. All that matters is how much positive cash flow does it put in your pocket. That's it. And if you measure your results and your success and your net worth in those terms, give the bankers what they need, that's fine. Tell the tax man what you have to tell them in order to file your returns. But when you are looking at real wealth and whether you're really wealthy or not, the only thing you should be paying attention to is how liquid you are and how much cash flow you have. Yeah. Cash is, cash, is, cash is king and cash flow is absolutely... This is why we, I, had we tell, ne- I had neither of those things in 2007. And, 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 you're, and you're right. And, and, uh, and I didn't either. When, when I lost everything in the restaurants, it was... The entire equity was in those restaurants, but the cash flow was non-existent. So uh, liquidity is king, cash flow is king. And so this is why I advise everybody right now, oh, it's now a good time to buy. It's like, well, it's a great time to buy. You got to make sure you buy right. And you That's better right. be there. It's be harder cash to flow. buy, but it's not a bad time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, interest rates are super cheap. It's a fine yeah. time, yeah, yeah. but you got to buy smart, good market, good team, good financing, good management. And cash flow, right? Yeah, I, I want cash flow from day one. Now I'm going to try to increase that. Kind of, I want cash flow from day one. I, that's why. Now, what kind of real estate strategies do you like right now heading into this kind of uh, environment? There's so many different than, uh, ones that you can you can choose. Which ones do you like right now? Well, I mean, besides the obvious cash flow, right, and leverage in terms of niches, I think you need to stick in this environment no matter what you're investing in. If you're a stock investor, uh, whatever, I think you need to invest in things that are real and essential. So, for example, 
we're finding right now that one of the most stable places to be in terms of real estate is residential. Why? Because even when people don't go to the mall, even when people don't go to the office, they still need a place to sleep at night, every night, even when they're working at home. So residential is much more secure than any other niche of real estate. So for that reason, I like residential. In terms of economic drivers for a marketplace, I still like energy. I know energy is under distress right now, but I don't think energy or the need for energy is going anywhere and those jobs cannot be exported. So I would look at the current weakness in energy markets as an opportunity to go shopping uh, with the idea that down the road, even if that energy is produced and shipped to China and India and the United States falls down a few notches in terms of an economic superpower, at the end of the day, markets that are supported by energy revenue are probably going to be resilient. I would put agriculture in that category. Now, it's hard to do agriculture in the United States. You know, we like that offshore because of, you know, the affordability, the labor, the regulations, and all of that. But that way, you don't have to get the local economy right. You're investing in an income-producing piece of land whose product is not shelter or a place to conduct business, but it's a product uh, that's renewable that gets shipped anywhere on the planet where prosperity exists. So I like that. I think healthcare uh, is not a bad place to be because, you know, people can skip a lot of things and governments can let a lot of things be neglected, but housing and healthcare and energy are three areas that the government is going to use whatever means they have. And they may lose some of their means, but whatever means they have, uh, they're definitely going to put into supporting healthcare uh, and that can't be exported. So I think real estate that, and economies that are related to that are important. And the other one is distribution. I mean, I understand 3D printing and maybe someday that, you know, we'll just be able to order on the internet and print our stakes and print our, you know, uh, things that we need. But I think we're a ways away from that. So distribution, again, whether the boxes or whether the products are being uh, in India, China, uh, Mexico, if they're coming into the United States to get moved from point A to point B, they're going to get distributed. They might not go through a retail store. They might end up going through an industrial warehouse. But at the end of the day, they're going to get distributed somehow, some way. And so uh, logistics hubs, anything that's related to logistics is probably not a bad place to be. So the concept there is you just have to look at the marketplaces and the real estate and ask, does it serve a basic essential need? And is it geographically linked to where that economic activity is nearly impossible to move someplace else? If you do that, I think you're going to have more uh, resiliency in your portfolio. Yeah, so there's a lot of fear right now, right? And a lot of people are paralyzed with fear and and I'm hearing a lot. Hey, is now the right time to invest? You know, maybe I should wait till things stabilize a little bit. You know, and there's maybe nothing wrong with waiting and seeing what happens or is there? I mean, what is your what is your advice to people saying, "Oh, maybe I should should I wait? Should I should I keep going? What what should I do right now?" Yeah, well, this is this the classic. So, the, I mean, waiting until things stabilize mean that all the brave and the bold went in and put in a bottom. Right? Now, if you, your goal is to get a good deal, you want to buy. You want to buy at the bottom. If you wait until somebody else puts the bottom in, you're chasing the market as it begins to go back up. And the longer you wait, and the other thing is, you're assuming that it's going to go down, and it may not. I mean, it may go down in terms of relative value, uh, but nominally, it may go up. I mean, again, you can have prices just like back in the stagflation days where, you know, things are slow, but prices are going up. So waiting may not help you. But the point is, rather than wait until somebody who is more diligent than you does the work and goes into the marketplace and finds all the best deals before you do, and then you go in, 
or whether you want to be among the educated, the informed, the prepared, the brave, and the bold and go in. And you might say, well, yeah, but I don't want to do all that work. Then invest in somebody who does do that work. That's why we love syndication. If you're one of those people out there and you say, I love it. I'm, I love to do market analysis and I love to underwrite deals. And I like to go interview property managers and look at these different ways of making a property more valuable. Well, then don't just invest your own money go be a value to other people. Jim Rohn says, if you want to be successful, be valuable to valuable people. There's going to be a lot of wealthy people out there who have a lot of paper and they want to convert that paper into something real, but they don't want to get their hands dirty. Those folks are going to, they're going to need shoppers, right? You know, it's like the shopping service right now with COVID-19. I mean, I know me, I haven't, my wife died in December and prior to that she was sick. So I haven't, you know, I don't go grocery shopping. I have a shopper. My shopper goes and does a grocery shopping for me. Well, there's going to be people out there like that, that are affluent, that have money, that aren't going to want to go do it. So they're going to be looking for shoppers or syndicators to invest in to go do that. So the opportunity to become a syndicator, in my opinion, has never gotten better because there's a lot of chaos. People who would have never considered moving over from Wall Street to Main Street are going to be very, very open to it as we go through this. And if you get good at telling that story, especially the part about the difference between paper assets and real assets, and then you take the real asset thing and break it down into, into those more resilient types of markets, and you can tell that story to your potential investors, uh, they're going to realize that you're not just a deal person, but you're a strategic investor and that, that when they invest alongside you, you're going to help them build resilience and income into their portfolio and put them in a better position to weather whatever comes because we don't know what's going to come. But we know that things that are real and essential are more likely than anything else to survive and thrive going through it and coming out of it on the back end. You know, sometimes ignorance is bliss, right? But uh, many times it's it's not. And I was a little bit like like you got caught surprised by the by the recession, and even afterwards, you just have blinders on. You know, I just want to get stuff done, and there's nothing wrong with that. You have to put your head down every once in a while, but things don't happen without context. So, what I love about you guys is you are looking at real estate in the context of what's going on, because ignorance actually is not bliss. It can literally kill you. <laughs> and so, understanding what's going on, and and you keep going back. Hey, it's not bad or good. It's just it's just different uh, and you have to figure out what how you need to adapt to preserve your wealth but also take advantage of that and that's, that's a great philosophy because sometimes we do things in a vacuum yeah well i mean that was one of the big lessons in 2008 we lived in an echo chamber we were real estate guys going to real estate conferences talking to real estate guys yeah yeah and at the end of the day we were all telling each other what we wanted to hear it was like a group you know what? And instead, you know, what we did was we, we got outside of our own lane and we started going to precious metals conferences and financial conferences and hanging out with people like Peter Schiff and listening more and talking less when we were in the presence of Robert Kiyosaki, who's a big picture guy. And we realized that people who had different philosophies than us had done a better job of navigating 2008. And so we began to incorporate all of that. You know, when this crisis hit, one of the things that we got a phone call from Chris Martinson at, over at Peak Prosperity. And Chris said, hey, have you guys been tracking this COVID-19, this, this, uh, this coronavirus? We said, no. He goes, well, you better because it's going to be big. Well, how big is big? It's going to be really, really big. It's going to be the most disruptive. This was back in January. Wow. And I said, well, Chris, how did you come to pay attention to that? He goes, well, I know we're in a bubble. And so what I did was I've been on a pricker watch. It's like, what could prick this bubble? And pandemic was one of the items on his list. Well, that wasn't one of the items on my list, but that's why I hang out with a guy like Chris. So he brought it to my attention 
early. When it manifested into the economic lockdown, that's where I kind of did my, my thought process. And then I tested that with, with a couple of folks. You know, I talked to Peter and some other folks and said, hey, do you think that how this is going to roll out? And they go, yep, absolutely. Like, okay, now I have a little bit more confidence in my thesis because other smart people, people smarter than me, think that I'm on the right track. Okay, that's great. So we said, okay, let's do this. Let's, let's, since we have all these great relationships and I can pick up the phone and call these people, let's, let's put together a webinar and let's just have a conversation with them. And let's make it totally free. Rather than charge, we could charge. It's, gonna, it's costing us thousands and thousands of dollars to produce, but let's make it free and let's try to flatten the economic curve because the more people who we vaccinate with financial education going into this, the less of a burden they're going to be on the financial system when they get infected by the challenges that are going to happen. And so let's, let's make it for free. So we're just getting ready to release that. But we talked to uh, Nomi Prince, who was an insider at Goldman Sachs and Chase. So she's a Wall Street insider. Danielle DiMartino Booth worked seven years at the Dallas Fed. So she's a Fed insider. Of course, we talked to Peter Schiff and Robert Kiyosaki, our normal friends, Richard Duncan, who is a PhD economist and was an advisor to the IMF International. So he has an international perspective. Obviously, we talked to Chris uh, Martinson and Adam Taggart uh, uh, because they, they pay attention to the virus and they're probably on the leading edge of knowing what's going on there. And they called it better than anybody else that I've seen. Uh, but they also pay attention to the environment and resources and energy. And then we talked to their oil guy, Art Berman, because we really felt like there's a big story in energy. And as it turned out, we happened to be interviewing him right at the middle of oil being at like negative $40. So it was really an interesting conversation. Anyway, we put that whole together into like a 13 episode webinar series. We're just getting to release. People are interested in that. They can get on the advanced notice. It's totally Totally free, no upsell. There's nothing. It's just just information. Crisis at realestateguysradio.com. Uh, so we're doing that. We're excited about that. And then I just finished doing a nine-part series, a tutorial on silver, uh, because uh, three weeks ago I decided to do this because I just felt like silver was poised to take off. You know. So again, feeling like a little bit proud of myself that I kind of saw it coming. And I did that with Dana Samuelson, yeah. buddy of ours, and nine parts. So we're just getting ready to release that silver series at realestateguysradio.com. So there's a couple of things, again, free, totally free. And yep. so we're, we're just putting out more education on some of this stuff because, you know, when, when the fundamentals of the market change and they're changing, then your strategy and tactics need to change. And your strategy and tactics change at the philosophical level. So how you think affects what you do and what you do affects the results you produce. If you don't change your thinking when the inputs change, then you're going to continue to try to play the game with the old rules and the rules are changing. Yeah, I love that. I, I love the education you've been putting out and you're broadening all of our collective perspectives. Now, you said it before, how can people find you and the real estate guys? Well, I mean, you know, any one of those emails. Uh, and another thing I'm working on, Michael, is a tutorial on how to convert real estate equity into precious metals uh, to mitigate a lot of the risks in the marketplace right now. And so that's precious equity at realestateguysradio.com. So any one of those emails or just visit our website, realestateguysradio.com. And uh, we're just getting ready to uh, launch. We're finally bringing our website into the 21st century. So we're just getting ready to launch that. It's going to be mobile friendly. And it's been a big project and I can take zero credit. The only reason it's getting done is because I was smart enough to give it to a project manager uh, and she's awesome and uh, try not to do it myself. Every I've tried three times in the past to do it myself. It never got over the line. This time it's getting done. But anyway, yeah. And listen to the show, you know, realestateguysradio.com, your favorite podcast outlet. We put out a podcast once a week, been doing it since uh, 2000. Seven, I think we started podcasting in earnest in 2009 and I think we just went over six or seven million unique downloads 
uh, 15 or 16 million all time. I mean, so we're, we're doing okay in a crowded space. And I think that uh, our, our message is a little bit unique. So I think you'll, you'll like it. Now you guys uh, invented podcasting. You've been doing it for so long. But I enjoy hanging out with you and Robert at your syndication events and your goal-setting retreats. And the cruise was canceled this year, which is a real a real shame. My kids weren't very happy about that. But uh, thank you so much, uh, Russ, for coming on the show today. Yeah, well, the cruise wasn't canceled. We just moved it. It went from being yeah. a summit at yeah, sea well, to the real su- cruise. summit yeah. on screen. Next yeah, year, it's going to be screen. summit on sand. We're doing it at our resort in Belize. So it's going to be epic. So we're just getting ready to announce that too. Uh, McElroy's in, so that's going to be great. And several of the people that we talked to. So yeah, appreciate being on the show. Michael, keep up the good work. I love what you're doing as an educator, as a broadcaster, and obviously as an investor. You know, I think there's plenty of room for many, many, many more people to get in. Uh, I think we're all part of the same mission. Main Street, investing in Main Street. You know, in this cancel culture, if I had my druthers and I could cancel something, I'd like to like to cancel Wall Street and cancel the Fed. And, uh, you know, the only way to do that is to have people putting their money uh, directly into Main Street, not, not funneling their money through those guys. That's my personal rant. That was Russell Gray with The Real Estate Guys. If you're not already listening to his podcast, make sure you do that because it's awesome. It really complements what we talk about, specifically our multifamily and syndications, gives you a bigger context, also educates you about other types of investments like precious metal agriculture. So definitely check that out as well. Now, uh, if you're interested in, in investing with us, uh, Nighthawk Equity is our is our investment firm, nighthawkequity.com. Then just uh, join our investment club and uh, that will allow you to schedule a call with us. And once we do that, if there's a fit between what you're looking for and what we kind of opportunities we have, then we can present you with some upcoming opportunities. That's nighthawkequity.com and click that join button. All right. And now I'm getting asked all the time, hey, is now a really good time to, to invest? And I asked Russell Gray that in the show and he, and he says, you know what? It is always a good time to invest, but you have to be smart about it. And one of the things he talked about is cash and cash flow. Therefore, if you're investing either actively or passively, someone make sure that that operator has enough cash reserves at closing and takes out additional cash reserves during the actual deal. And and also always make sure there's cash flow from day one. Right now, avoid cash flow uh, break-even or, or non-existent or negative cash flow situations. You're looking for multiple margins for error. And right now, when we're going into some, some amount of uncertainty, cash is king and cash flow is king, okay? Never run out of cash. If you get in those kind of investments, we're starting to see some very interesting, unprecedented opportunities that we're going to take advantage of. And I truly believe that there's going to be a lot of wealth being created over the next 12 to 24 months. But again, cash is king. You never run out of cash. So if you invest passively, make sure you grill the sponsor about their ability to have enough cash and cash flow to write out anything that may possibly happen. That is really the key to investing and taking advantage of this opportunity. If we do that, we can enjoy cash flow, which we can't get from the stock market. We have uh, an amazing hedge against inflation, which we talked about today in, in Russ as well. And we have amazing tax benefits. So we really love the real assets that we're in with multifamily investing. So if you're an active investor, continue beating the bushes. Uh, you're going to get some amazing opportunity. If you're a passive investor, then align yourself with a great operator. We'd love to be one of those. Again, check us out at nighthawkequity.com. Uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you. So broaden your horizons, pay attention to what's going on around you because ignorance is not bliss. In fact, it can hurt you. And if you start studying the matter, you can actually not only survive what's coming, but you can thrive. So with that, catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to 
themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.